when we all, not all, but when a lot of our employees started working remote back in March of last year, the biggest question that everybody had was, well, are they going to be productive? Are they going to mm -hmm. do work? Or are people just going to sit around at home and you know watch TV and take naps all day long? And not <laughs> that was the big concern. Uh, what we've absolutely learned is that um, people can be just as productive and high performing working from home as they are working from the workplace. So this whole question of around uh, does performance matter? Um, the answer is there's no difference in performance from that perspective. Yeah. But what we have found is that there are issues associated with retention and turnover for employees who are working remote. And what we find is that there's a real turnover issue. Potentially that's there, even though employees would prefer, a lot of employees would prefer to work remote or hybrid. They just have the same social connections. There's more opportunity for lots of reasons. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. Today, we are going to have a conversation about fairness in the workplace. And this idea or concept of fairness has become way more important than it ever was. Because, well, right now we are going through so much redesign and reimagining of the workplace, you know, uh, taking into consideration, for example, remote work versus working in an office or hybrid approach and all the questions of fairness that can stem out of that sort of redesigning of the workplace. And we're going to have this conversation with somebody who has been in the space of research for a long time now as the chief research officer at Gardner's HR practice. And uh, he's been uh, providing insights, coding edge insights to HR leaders around the world for a long time. So Brian, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on. Well, thank you so much for being here. And let's begin the conversation with, with, with this question. Right, right now, the, 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 one of the biggest topics on the table for business leaders and HR is how people actually do the work. Do they mm -hmm. do the work from home? Do they come to the office every now and then and then work from home? Or do they fully come to the office? And, and I know that that's really important, but there, there are so many things that stem out of there, including, for example, who is getting visibility for promotions? Who is getting, you know, the opportunities for leadership? Uh, you know, who is getting more opportunities to collaborate across the organization? So there's a lot of organizational, cultural things included in this conversation. So what's what's going on? How can we manage this incredibly complex uh, topic, uh, yeah. you know, going forward? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Um, uh, when we all, not all, but when a lot of our employees started working remote back in March of last year, the biggest question that everybody had was, well, are they going to be productive? Are they going to mm -hmm. do work? Or are people just going to sit around at home and you know watch TV and take naps all day long? And not <laughs> that must be the, the big concern. Uh, what we've absolutely learned is that um, people can be just as productive and high performing working from home as they are working from the workplace. So this whole question of around, uh, does performance matter? Um, the answer is there's no difference in performance from that perspective. Yeah. But what we have found is that there are issues associated with retention and turnover for employees who are working remote. And what we find is that there's a real turnover issue. Potentially that's there, even though employees would prefer, a lot of employees would prefer to work remote or hybrid. They just have the same social connections. There's more opportunity for lots of reasons. That's kind of the second thing we started to learn and realize. But now what we're realizing, that's just kind of questions one and two in a world of thousands of questions. Yeah. Like, 
How do we maintain our culture? How do we have some of the things that you're linked to? How do we maintain visibility around like where, uh, who's making contributions, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and one of the biggest challenges that's gonna happen to companies and they're starting to realize now is that how do we do all of that, achieve productivity and performance, improve retention in a way that's fair and equitable yeah. across our companies? Like just give you a couple of data points real quick. 88% of companies have something about equity or fairness in their corporate values. Uh, the frequency with which CEOs talk about diversity, equity, inclusion has increased almost 700% since wow. 2018. Um, and th these, these are just the issues. And like when you look at society, there's like all these equity and fairness issues right there. Like, um, should we have people get a third shot of the vaccine before other people get their first shot? How do you think about that? You know, uh, and, and so these questions are just now playing out within companies. And to get really specific here, some of the, the real specific challenges that are out there that uh, executives are only starting to realize and think about. So uh, is it fair that some employees by the nature of their job get a work remote or hybrid and others by the nature of their job don't? And yeah. for those employees who don't get that benefit, do you do anything for them? Here's like another really interesting one. Um, companies have historically paid their field sales team more than their uh, in-house sales team, right? Uh, the one, the one that, the ones that don't travel, and the argument has been, well, they're traveling, so they should get some sort of premium associated with that. Now, a lot of sales executives just have no travel of their sales team, but there's some people that are getting paid more than others because of what their job used to be, not what their job yeah. is. That doesn't seem fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one that is uh, just really striking to me. Um, quite a lot of data on this. Uh, uh, we mentioned this, the, the performance differential between remote and office employees is effectively non-existent. They both can perform. Um, but managers think that people who come into the office are higher performing than employees who don't. They're more likely to give them bigger raise, bigger promotion, even though they're wrong yeah. about that, but, but that's the behavior they're engaging. And that's bad by itself uh, in terms of differences between remote and in-office employees. But to go one further, uh, when you look at who wants to work remote versus who wants to work in the office, men are dramatically more likely to say they want to work in an office and yeah. women are more likely to say they want to work remote. Of now, course. <laughs> reasons why that's the case. Uh, but you put all that together and men want to work from the office more than women. Managers reward people who work in the office unfairly for doing so. That's just going to make the gender wage gap worse. It's going to make yeah. uh, equity, gender equity and leadership positions worse and so on. And these questions of fairness and equity are enormous around society. They're playing out within our companies and if we're not addressing them, there's no way we're gonna be able to retain our employees who are much more passionate and care about these issues more than they have in generations. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let me ask you this. Uh, what are the foundational blocks that should help or could help leaders make sound decisions around this? And you mentioned a lot of very complex things, but yep. there is one of them that, which is complex, but it's very tangible. There are people who can work from home because of the nature mm -hmm. of their work. And there are people who have to be in the office because of the nature of the work. So it seems a pretty straightforward criteria to decide who's going to be working from home and who's going to be working from the office. But in the eyes of an external observer, it could be you're not fair, you know, why don't you transform work for those who work in the office so that they can also work from home? So mm -hmm. what are the foundational blocks that can help business leaders, HR leaders decide 
about these issues going forward, about the issue of, of fairness going forward? Yeah, you know, the, it's a great question. Um, the way that we've thought about it is just to make sure that we're not unfair. So we've looked at kind of where people get uh, some sort of um, uh, advantage in the workplace versus them. So like one of the most common ones is that there's plenty of research that shows uh, that recruiting processes, technologies, managers, recruiters are biased against people based upon their last name. Wow. Uh, and, and, you know, people with certain ethnic last names are less likely to make it through a recruiting process, all else equal than people who have a more uh, common last name. And that's wrong and that's unfair. But what we say is like, well, let's, let's have, let's take names off resumes so we don't have that unfairness. But that's not actually making it fair. That's just taking away the things that are unfair. Yeah. And so what we want to really be thinking about is how do we make things better for everyone? What are the sorts of approaches that we can take to make it better for everyone? So like, here's another example in the recruiting process, which is, like, blows my mind about this one. Um, and I never would have guessed this until we started looking at the data and really taking it apart. Uh, men are more likely to know the questions they're gonna be asked in an interviewing process than women. <laughs> yeah, well, just think about that for a second, right? Like think about all the implications from that, right? Like, yeah, yeah. If you know the question you're gonna be asked, you can prepare your answer, you're gonna give a better answer. And if you give a better answer, you're more likely to get hired yeah. than kind of being asked a question the first time, right? Like that, that's just pure logic right there. Yeah. And if men know the question, are more likely to know the question is gonna be asked than women, which is unfair that they do, but it, it's, they do, all the data shows that, uh, then you're gonna have a biased hiring process and make bad hiring decisions and worse quality of hire. Uh, so what you can do on like some of the sort of tangible things are, just become more transparent about what your interviewing process looks like. You're gonna ask questions about this thing, this thing, this thing. You're gonna um, test for this sort of thing. Here's the background of everybody that is gonna interview that person. So everybody has more information. So you're not just eliminating the unfairness, you're making it fairer across the yeah. board and looking up to that higher level. And that, that's how we wanna be thinking about this. Yeah. Not just like, how do we take away the bad things? Yeah, we make, it, we make it good. Yeah. yeah. How do we create good things that make it fairer? Yeah. And that's the mental shift we have to uh, to go through to make it happen. And, and there's plenty of ways we can do that. But that's that's how I want to think about it. And I love I love that you know philosophy and and of you know thinking and mindset. And it leads me to to another question. And I'm going to use one example to sort of frame this question. I, I live in a small town in northern Arizona. Mm -hmm. So when people who make salaries like San Francisco salaries come to this town they disrupt the entire local labor market. And they do so because it's impossible for a local company to pay what companies in Silicon Valley are paying their employers, their employees, I'm sorry. So the question has become, should employers pay less to their employees, employees that are moving to cities where the cost of life is lower than where people were originally hired? I don't think that is fair. However, one thing that that's creating is the PR effect of the fairness as uh, sort of decision-making process, which is, you know, what is the right thing to do? But also the flip side of that is what is the thing that if we do that, we're going to get the best PR. So yep. let me transform that into the question. How do we decouple these things? If that's even possible, how do we make sound fair decisions, even if sometimes they may not necessarily have the best PR, you know, yeah. attached to it? Uh, totally. And, and this is where these questions are so, so tough. 
Yeah. A lot of the things that we've been we've been working on within HR, there's a right answer, right? Like, should you try to engage your employees? Yes, you should. Yeah. You know, should you try to uh, uh, pay employees uh, when they're making big contributions? Yes, you should. Uh, how do you do it? But we're entering this new era of questions, which are um, there's no right answer. Yeah. There's good reasons to go left or go right or go fast or slow or you know big or small whatever it might be. Um, and this one, like, should you pay based upon the contributions that someone's making? Because if you're in Northern Arizona or San Francisco, you can probably make the same contribution. Or yeah. should you pay by what, you know, that labor market, local labor market pays? Yeah. And if you believe the latter, how do you make those adjustments in a way that actually makes sense for your company? But there's no right answer yeah. to any of those questions. Uh, but what you have to think about and the advice that we give is go back to like, what are the values of your company? If you say you're a pay for performance company, then cutting people's salaries because they move to a lower cost of living location doesn't seem like a pay for performance company. Yeah. Right. So I, I think the, the biggest guiding principle for any of these tough decisions is we spend all this time with an HR, like what are our values? What is our, what is our mission statement? Like whatever it might be. And then like, what do you use that for? You use that to answer these hard questions. Uh, from that perspective. Uh, and then to the PR part of it, um, you, you know, the, 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 it is so easy for candidates to understand what's going on within a company. If you don't manage that perfectly right, the last thing you want is some sort of, a, you know, a rant on Glassdoor or Facebook <laughs> or wherever, where it's like, you know, uh, Enrique Rubio's company is terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, because that will travel so quickly. And even if it's completely untrue, the speed at which that travels and the ability to unravel that and tell a different story is all but impossible. Yeah. And, and, and that actually, I think, gets to an even bigger point that we see going on, which is increasingly employers are defining the PR of the company through their HR strategies. Yeah. So um, here's one of the things that's super fascinating to me. There's a lot of uh, companies now that are offering uh, to pay for junior college or online classes for their employees. That's great that they're doing that. That's helping build the skills and capabilities of those employees. Uh, that's creating more compelling value proposition for people to work there. That's great. But what it's also doing is sending this message to every consumer out there, which is, hey, if you buy stuff from my company, not only will you get good stuff, you're going to help make the world better by helping educate all these yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. And you have to now think about the PR of what you're doing, not just what does that mean for your employment brand, but what does that mean for your customer value proposition as yeah. well? Because those things are completely intertwined at this point. Yeah. And yeah. your talent strategies impact your, your customer brand like never before. And, and that's just that totally different dimension we have to and, think and, about. And the expectations that such practices are uh, you know, creating in consumers as in talent, you know, potential candidates yeah. for another company. So you go to another company and you say, hey, I'm working in this company and they offer me, they are paying for my you know, school uh, tuition, right? Are you going to do that? No. All right. Well, no, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the level of expectations today is is completely uh, different and, and that makes it really complicated. Um, mm -hmm. Brian, as we, as we get closer to wrapping up this conversation, and I truly appreciate you sort of bringing this, uh, bringing the complexity of what's going on in the world of work today to the forefront. Yeah. 
Um, I, I want to ask you one, one last question. How, you know, for, for HR leaders uh, whom are, uh, you know, many of them are, you know, sort of at the forefront of the strategies and the decision-making process, you know, in all those things that we have just talked about, if, if you would tell them one thing to keep in mind, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a driver, as a driver of, for, for, for their uh, decision-making processes. If there's one thing, what would you tell them? I know this is very complex. I don't want to oversimplify, yeah. no, but if there's one thing. Yeah, it, it is a um, uh, a reality of how the world's changing around us, which is HR as a function has historically relied on creating policies to solve problems. Yeah. So we've got, um, you know, and, and that's the legacy of that we've had from a staffing perspective and all those sorts yeah. of things, all that that's there. So it's, uh, we got a problem, we're going to create a policy to solve yeah. it. You know, and it's like, you don't like that policy, you know what we're going to do? We're going to create a different policy. Yeah. Uh, and policies don't work anymore. Yeah. Um, for all sorts of reasons. One, they probably never really worked well to begin with. They're really designed to manage like the bottom 10, 15% of low performers or yeah. the outlier situations, all sorts of stuff. Uh, what HR needs to be doing is shifting our, our mindset from what are the policies we create to solve problems to what are the philosophies that we want to have in terms of running and organizing our organization. So for example, like when it comes to remote work, the thing I hear from a ton of companies is, um, well, what is the policies that we need to put in place to manage our remote work strategy? Yeah. And my response is like, your remote work strategies, because you're going to have a thousand of them, because it's going to be different in every situation based upon the manager employee type of work, all that sort of stuff. Instead, what you need to have is a set of philosophies. What are your this I believe statements? Yeah. Um, so, for example, uh, do you believe that uh, maximizing time together is critical for the success of your business? Or do you believe giving employees more choice yeah. is critical for the, for the success of your business? You have to decide on those philosophies. And then once you've got those philosophies, trust that your employees and your managers are smart and that yeah. they're you know, good human beings and that if they know the philosophy, they'll make good decisions the vast, vast, vast majority of the time. But we've got to get out of this sense of like, we're going to policy our way to yeah. a set of solutions. And we need to develop our own set of philosophies about how we want to live, how we want to run our organization. What does that mean? Yeah. And then use those philosophies as our guiding lights to help us make decisions when moments come up, because we are, as we're returning to the workplace, as the world's changing faster than ever, we cannot write policies or create policies nearly fast enough no. yeah. to, um, to be effective managers of talent. But we can have philosophies that give us the, you know, like our 10 commandments, our bill of yeah. rights, whatever it is, like <laughs> it's our philosophical yeah. tool that we're using to make decisions when things come up. That's yeah, they, they, they give us, uh, you know, way more flexibility rather than creating a policy, which, like you said before, it's generally designed for the outliers and not for the way most people actually end up behaving or, or yeah. performing and whatnot. So, Brian, thank you so much for spending this time with me and sharing these insights with the community. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Hacking Nature Podcast. I will see you all soon. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, 
and we will see you soon.